Hello, I'm Shane Hartsfield, pastor of Beaver Baptist Church. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. If you have any questions about what it means to follow Christ or questions about our church, direct you to our website, beaverbaptist.com, for our contact information. Weekly, we study exegetically through books of the Bible. And now, join us as we dive into today's passage. It is good to be with you this morning to praise the Lord together. It's fitting to praise the Lord, isn't it? Open your Bibles to Psalm 145. That's where we're going to be-ish. Uh, so we're, this is our last sermon in the series on the Psalms. We've been walking through these Psalms together for, uh, we've done around 20 sermons on the Psalms, I believe. Uh, so 20 out of 150, just a sampling, right? Um, you know, I was, so I've been thinking this week about how the Psalms end about how they conclude. And um, that game at the Patriots won again. Amen? At, like amen to the dad gummit part, right? Um, and, and uh, you know, we talk about athletes, the ones who go down in history are the ones who know how to finish, right? Um, and Brady, and that he didn't have a great game, but, um, but he finished it. Uh, you know, I, I, when I was a kid, I, um, elementary, middle school was Jordan's, Michael Jordan's heyday for me. And um, I mean, he's a scumbag of a human being, but, but, but I mean, the guy finished, didn't he? Brady was what, like, is what, like six and three in Super Bowls, I think. Jordan never lost in the finals. That's just crazy. Um, so at least somebody was better than Brady. Uh, different sport, but whatever. But uh, I was thinking about that because we're finishing the Psalms, and it's important how the Psalms end. It's important how they end. Um, Shane mentioned in the very first sermon on Psalm 1 and 2 that there's five books, right? The Psalms are split up into five books, and at the end of each of those five books is a doxology, a praise to God. And in this, book five, not just the end of book five, but the end of the Psalms as a whole, we have a doxology that lasts for six chapters, six Psalms. Psalms 145 through 150 are these praises to God. They call them, uh, in, in, uh, in the Jewish scriptures, they call them the Hallel Psalms. Hallel, hallelujah, that means praise. Praise be to God. The Hallel Psalms, that's what that word hallelujah means. Praise, hallelujah, Yah, Yahweh, hallelujah. Praise be to God. And that's how the Psalms end, with these praises to God. We've been using these three questions. Hopefully most of you remember these. Um, We've been using these almost every week as we've walked through the Psalms. And, And I want these questions to kind of frame our conclusion together. We're going to use Psalm 145 kind of like a lens to look back at the Psalms as a whole and then to try to land this bird and see where it takes us. So the three questions, how have the Psalms taught us to think, to to believe? What should we believe about God, about ourselves, and about the world? What have they taught us about our emotions, our heart, our affections? And what have they taught us to do? What can we do What actions should we take? Our head 
What do we believe? Our heart? What do we feel? What kind of emotions, affections do they stir up in us? In our hands, what do we do? These aren't, these aren't exclusive categories, right? We, we don't act on something that we don't believe in. You know, we don't, we don't feel something completely separate from what we believe or do. These are all intertwined. These, are, um, these make up the whole of who we are, really. Our beliefs, our, our affections, and, and our actions. And they're all, uh, we'll see that this morning, they all intermingle with one another. So we've already read from several of these last six psalms, Psalms 145 through 150, and every single one of them start and end with praise, with praise to God. Look again with me at how 145 begins. We read this together responsively a moment ago. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. And then the very last verse of Psalm 145. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. and Let all flesh bless His holy name together. Extol, bless, praise. Our praise of the Lord, it's a head thing, right? We praise the Lord because of what we believe about Him, because of who He is, who we believe Him to be according to the Scriptures. We praise the Lord because of what we think about Him, what we know to be true about who God is. We praise the Lord because we love Him, right? Because because in our hearts, we love Him because He first loved us. And that stirs up our emotions and our affection for God. And we praise Him with our hands. We praise Him with what we do and say and how we live. Head, heart, and hands. It's very purposeful that this is how the Psalms end. Everything in the Psalms, I believe, has been pointing us to this conclusion. Praise the Lord in everything, all flesh, all breath. Praise the Lord. Let's think about for a minute what the Psalms have taught us about who God is and how what we believe about God leads us to praise Him. Okay? Um, so, so what do the Psalms teach us about who God is? There's this little book by A.W. Tozer um, called The Knowledge of the Holy. It's barely 100 pages long, a short little book. Uh, I read it on my very first trip overseas when I was in college. Um, and and it, it, it radically changed my life. I was, I was going overseas for, for the first time encountering uh, you know, different languages, different cultures, different religions. Um, and I read this book, and the first line of this book has stuck with me ever since. The first sentence of this book is, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us comes into your mind when you think about the Lord? 
What have the Psalms taught us to think about the Lord? Again, the beginning of 145. I will extol you, my God and King. Verse 3. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. We just saying that God is sovereign over us. He's sovereign over us. He is king. But he's not just a king. Not just some king out there. He is, David says, my king. My God and my king. I want to read through a few verses from the Psalms that talk about God's kingly rule and his sovereignty over us. They're going to be on the screen, and so just read along with me, or just close your eyes and listen if you want to. Just don't keep them closed for too long. Um, I'm going to put the references up there at the end, so if you want to jot them down, you can jot them down at the end. Listen to these verses from the Psalms about who God is, His sovereignty over us. 29.10, the Lord sits enthroned. The Lord sits enthroned as King forever. 47.2, for the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. 47.6, sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to our king, sing praises. 90 verse 2, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. 93, 1 and 2. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He has put on strength as His belt. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. 115, verse 3. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that He pleases. 135, verse 6. Whatever the Lord pleases, He does. In heaven and on earth, in the seas and all deeps. My God and my King. I know some of you this morning are facing difficult situations in life. At work, at home, with your kids, maybe with your spouse. God is sovereign over all of those situations. What we believe about Him in those moments will either lead us to doubt and question and turn away from God, or it will lead us to praise Him, even in the valleys. He is faithful. Ten ten years or so ago, I, I, I memorized this poem called, My King. Um... I don't have it all memorized any longer, but um, go home and look it up. If it's by a guy named Lockridge, is his last name. It's a it's a really it was a prayer that he just kind of wrote out and be, has become this. I don't know if, I don't know if it's famous or not, but I memorized it. Uh, one of the stanzas says this. He says, David says, referencing Psalm 19. David says, "The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork." My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. No far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of his shoreless supply. 
No barrier can hinder him from pouring out his blessings. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally graceful. He's imperially partial, impartial. He's impartially merciful and immortally powerful. That's my king. I wonder if you know him today. He is king over all. He is sovereign over us. 145.3, his greatness is unsearchable. No far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of his shoreless supplies. I love that line. His greatness is unsearchable. He's, co- he's sovereign. He is my God and my king. And paired with this sovereignty in the Psalms is another characteristic of the Lord's that Psalm 145 points us back to. Again, the question we're trying to answer, what do the Psalms as a whole, what do the Psalms teach us about who God is? He's king, we've said. You know, kings, kings are kind of like bosses. You can have a good one, and it makes for a really enjoyable work experience, right? You've had a good boss, easy to work for, always has your back, goes to bat for you. Those are good people to work for. It makes going to work fun and enjoyable. But if you have a bad one, it kind of ruins things, right? It makes going to work pretty miserable. You got a boss that is always on your case, never on your side, always down your throat. See, if God was just a sovereign king, but he didn't really care about us, that wouldn't be very good news. But the Psalms teach us that God is a king who has steadfast love for his people. 128 times in the Psalms, we read of the steadfast love of God. I'm not going to read every single one of them, but but you can, y'all are like, man, thank goodness. Um, but, But I mean, you can scarcely open to a page in the Psalms and not find a reference to the steadfast love love of the Lord. Look at 145, 8 and 9. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding, abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. We've, we've seen this before in the Psalms and I've mentioned before, as has Shane, that Where does this come from? Where is the psalmist getting this description of who God is? Now it's up there so you can cheat. Coming from Exodus, right? When God, when Moses asked God to reveal his glory, to show him his glory, and God defines, describes who he is. He describes the nature of his character. He says, the Lord, the Lord. This is God speaking. A God merciful and gracious slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. Steadfast love. Some of the the other translations use loving kindness. That's a great word. The loving kindness of the Lord. Steadfast. What's it mean to be steadfast? resolute, faithful, devoted. That's the kind of love God has for those of us who are in 
Christ. This, this is often used as it came to Moses in the context of God making a covenant with his people. This is often used in, in reference to the covenant that God, the covenants that God has made over the course of history. His steadfast love for those who call on him, the covenantal love of God. So listen to a few of these references to the steadfast love of our covenant-keeping God. Psalm 5, 7, I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. You came to church this morning through the abundance of God's steadfast love. 1850, great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed to David and his offspring forever. They're in reference to the covenant God made with David. 25, 6, and 7. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Next, 20, I'm sorry, 40, verse 11. Sorry, 25, 10. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. 40.11, your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. 51.1, this great psalm of confession. Right? We've, Shane preached on this psalm. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. 59.10, my God in his steadfast love will meet me. Oh, praise God, he meets with us. Amen? 59.16 and 17, I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning. That's what we've been doing. For you have been to me a fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress. O oh, my strength, I will sing praises to you. For you, O oh God, are my fortress the God who shows me steadfast love. 86.5, for you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. 106.1, praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And 115.1, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. For the sake of your steadfast love and faithfulness. We could go on and on and on. That's only about a tenth of the references to God's steadfast love in the Psalms. I hope that whets your appetite a little bit. I hope that stirs up some affections in your heart for the Lord. Because of his steadfast love that he has shown you. If it doesn't. That doesn't wet your fire, your wood must be wet, right? God is a sovereign king who shows steadfast love, covenant-keeping love to all who call upon him. What do the Psalms teach us about God? He's a sovereign king who shows steadfast love. What do they teach us about ourselves? about the world. These questions have a lot of overlap with what the Psalms teach us about our emotions, about what we feel and what we ought to do, our actions, head, heart, hands. Remember, 
They're all intertwined, like a braid of hair. Like when I had my long goatee, and I braided it one time. Andy thought it was nasty, so I cut it. But, that, but, but they're all intertwined, right? Uh, they all play off of one another. I've said this before about how the Psalms speak to our experience as humans. This is one reason we love the Psalms so much, why they're so timeless, that, that they cover the whole gamut, right? The whole spectrum of human experience, the whole spectrum of human emotion and feelings. The Psalms cover, cover all of it. Millennials, kids, Y'all know the hashtag, all the feels. If y'all don't know what that means, just ignore it. But all the feels, right? This is where that hashtag began in the Psalms. It gives us all the feels. All of them are covered here. Sadness, excitement, joy, gladness, fear. When I am afraid, I will trust in God, right? Praise, all of them, all of the feels are here. Let's go back to 145 for a moment. Remember, this, this is like a lens that helps us look back at the Psalms and summarize what we have learned. What does it teach us about our emotions and our feelings? Psalm 145.10 says, The Lord upholds all who are falling. All who are falling, the Lord upholds. The Lord is near to all who call on Him. The Lord preserves all who love him. The Psalms teach us to do what to do when we're falling. When we're falling, the, we can go to the Psalms and learn what we ought to do. Psalm 42, you may remember, I preached on this psalm as well. What do we do when we're depressed? What do we do when when all the feels are bad, or maybe there aren't any. Psalm 42.5 is this great dialogue, this inner dialogue from the psalmist. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? That's the question that he's asking himself, the psalmist. The writer of the psalm is saying, why do I feel like this? And what's the answer? The answer that he gives himself. He's preaching to himself. Hope in God. When you're falling, when, you, when you're depressed, hope in God. I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. For those of you, for those of you who, who struggle with depression... This is, not, this is not some just one-off solution, some quick fix. I've heard, I've heard preachers say things like this before, like just have more faith. Just have more faith, and, and poof, your depression will be better. I don't think that's what the Bible teaches, and I don't think that's most people's experience with depression either. It's unimportant that in Psalm 42, he repeats this twice to himself. Why, does, why, does it, why is it repeated? Because we have to repeat this to ourselves over and over and over again. 
We have to convince ourselves. We have to tell our souls, hope in God. I shall again praise you. Psalm 56.9 says, This I know, that God is for me. Did you know that, friend, that God is for you? God is for you. Man, what better news is there than that? God is for me. He's with me. He's for me. He's on my side. I, uh, a couple of years ago, I got this harebrained idea when we were overseas in Asia that I wanted to do a triathlon. So I did it. And uh, the bike, you know, triathlon is swimming, biking, and running. And running, I'm just mad about. I love being outside. Uh, I don't really love running, but I'll do it. Uh, I really enjoy biking. Biking's by far my favorite of those. But swimming, golly. Swimming, I mean, I'd spent a lot of time in the water, I felt like, as a kid um, growing up. But I had never tried to swim any kind of distance before, you know. And I had to swim a mile for this, 1,500 meters, almost a mile. And, um, you know, I trained and trained and trained. And every time I would get in the water, in the pool to train, I would just tell myself, all right, here we go, you can do this. It was a 25-meter pool, it was swimming laps. And when I first started, I mean, I couldn't even swim 100 meters but without stopping. You know. But I, I just kept, kept going to the pool, kept training, kept telling myself, come on, keep going after it. And slowly but surely, I was able to swim farther and farther. But then on the, on the morning of the race, we traveled to the place where the race was, and I go down early in the morning to get signed up and everything, and it's in the, the race is in a lake, it's an open water swim. And I get there, and, and the swim was like a big triangle. You go out and across, and then you come back. So it was like 600 meters out to the buoy or whatever. Golly, it looked so long. Uh, I was like, there is no way I can do this. I cannot do this. I mean, I... I really thought about dropping out at that moment, but I didn't. I told myself, you've trained for this. You can do this. doesn't matter how far off it is. I just psyched, I, I psyched myself up. I told myself over and over again, you can do this. You've trained for this. It's no farther. It just looks farther because it's not a little pool that you're going back and forth in. I just psyched myself up about it, right? And I knew if I could just make it out of the water, I'd be okay, right? I told, I told all my friends, I said, if, if I just make it out of the water, doesn't matter how long it takes me, if I can make it out of the water and them not have to come get me on a little boat, then, then I'll finish the race. I'll be all right. I had to convince myself that I could do it. That's what the psalmist is doing. He's convincing himself. He's telling himself, hope in God. Even when it doesn't seem like you can finish the race, even when, it, even, even when that, that, that destination is so far out there that it feels like there's no chance of you making it there. Telling himself hope in God. Even in the valley, we just sang, even in the valley, you are faithful. Do you believe that? believe that even in the valley, the Lord is faithful. 
Some of you are shaking your head because, yes, because you've experienced it, right? You've experienced the steadfast love of God even in the valley. You are working for our good and your glory. God is working for our good and his glory even in the valley. Remember those two things, those are not mutually exclusive. That God is working for our good and his glory. It may not always seem that his glory aligns with what's good for us. But in heaven's eyes, in God's eyes, he's got this. He knows what he's doing. Our the president of the mission agency that we were with used to tell us when we, when, you know, if people would, were discouraged with the work, he would just say, hey, God's got this whole thing rigged. God's got this whole thing rigged. It's rigged for our good and for his glory. And we don't always see that, right? But God does. Why? Because he's, he's a sovereign king who loves us. You remember Psalm 126? Psalm 126, those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. So even when we're overcome with weeping, when we can't see straight because of the tears, Just working for our good and for his glory. We, so we, we continue to sow the seeds, right? We continue to convince our soul, hope in God. I don't know why there's all this turmoil within me. When I first jumped in the water, this is no joke, three strokes into my swim, dude kicked me right in the face. And... Uh, so I, I'm, a, I'm all discombobulated. I come up and I feel my nose through. My nose is bleeding. It's not bleeding. But you know, you know that feeling when you get smacked in the nose? I'm like five meters into the race. And I remember saying to myself, okay, 1,495 to go. And I just kept going. But that's what it feels like sometimes. We barely get started and just get kicked in the face. We keep sowing the seed. Horatio Spafford and that, that man went to England, met his wife, mourned his daughters, and met Dwight Moody and went on that evangelistic tour. He kept on sowing the seed, even in the midst of weeping. I don't, I don't know how long the weeping will last, how long your depression will last, but if you strive to hope in God if you tell yourself over and over, I'm going to praise the Lord. Then I know, because Paul says it to be true, that your light and momentary afflictions, even when they don't feel light or momentary, they are achieving for us an eternal weight of glory. It's far beyond all comparison. 2 Corinthians 4.17. They don't feel light and momentary, but, but, but in, in eternity, in, in the perspective of eternity, 
in the perspective of what God's going to do for you forever. They're achieving for you an eternal weight of glory. Now, we'll, we'll, we'll come home with shouts of joy. We strive to hope in God. At some point, if you haven't experienced all the feels, you will. The feelings, this is one thing we can walk away from the Psalms with. The feelings are real. The emotions of, of, of living in a broken world are real. We, we encounter those emotions over and over again in the Psalms. But they're not final. Right? We, we don't trust our emotions because, because our hearts are deceptive. We, we trust in a sovereign king who shows steadfast love. Finally, what do the, te- the Psalms teach us to do? What do the Psalms teach us to do? What actions can we take? Again, let's, let's let Psalm 145 set the stage for us. We, we read earlier the concluding verse of chapter 145, verse 21. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. Let all flesh bless His holy name forever. I want you to notice real quickly with me how often in this psalm, in Psalm 145, there are references to speaking. Okay, Verses 4 through 7. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. Commend, declare, speak, pour forth, sing aloud. God's works, His mighty acts, His majesty, His awesome deeds and greatness, the fame of His abundant goodness. Does that pour forth out of your mouth? Look at verses 10 through 12. Let's let's read this one responsively together. Again, you, you read the underlined part. We'll read that together. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Yeah, all your saints shall bless you. The saint, the word saints there is, is the, the, literally the steadfastly loved ones. The saints are those who are steadfastly loved by God. Is that you this morning? If so, then we have blessed the name of the Lord together. We speak of the glory of God's kingdom. We tell of His power. Do you talk about these things? Are are, are these things continually on your lips? We find it really easy to talk about a whole lot of different topics, whatever it is that interests you, sports, history, hair, 
I don't know. Do you talk about the Lord like like you talk about those things? We ought to. We ought to. Because he has loved us with a steadfast love. Let's tell of the fame of his glorious kingdom, friends. I went round and round about, about how to bring this thing to a close. There's so many different things, 150 psalms. There's so many different things that we could say the psalms teach us to do. Actions that we ought to take. And I probably rewrote this part of the sermon three or four or five or seven times. And then I just, and then I just realized, I mean, just end it like the psalms do. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. If it's good enough for the Psalms to end this way, then I think it's good enough for our sermon series to end this way. Praise the Lord. I think of the Psalms as like a road trip. Ever ever been on a long road trip? I was talking to Brian about a big road trip out west that he took a few years ago with his family. I took a road trip out west with my grandparents right after I graduated college. Great trip. Not, not one of those interstate trips, but a scenic route kind of trip, you know? I love road trips. I really enjoy them. I think the Psalms is a lot like a road trip. We started out, Psalm 1, a big stout tree planted by a stream of water. Right? That's the blessed man who meditates on the law of the Lord. We've gone through green pastures and the valley of the shadow of death. We've needed some help along the way on 121, so we, we look up to the hills from where our help comes. At times we've gotten lost, get lost on the road trip, you know, before the GPSs, searching on the atlas trying to find your way. Thankfully, there's a light for our path, isn't there? We've found, as we sang, that all our ways are known to Him. All our roads are known to God. He has searched out every path on 139. No matter how high we ascend or how low we go, He's there leading us by the hand. Even the darkness is not dark to Him. So we've traveled this road and we finally come to our destination, to the end. And what's the destination? What's the end? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise Him, bless Him, extol Him. Tell of His glory. Not to us, not to us, but to Your name be the glory, Lord. Stand with me and let's read Psalm 150 together. Pick up your Bibles. I don't have this on the screen. So pick up your Bibles and let's read Psalm 150 together. What page is that on in the Pew Bible? 624 in the Pew Bible. Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. 
Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, you are worthy of our praises. You're worthy. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be glory. Because of your steadfast love, we praise your name. We bless you. We extol you. Your greatness is unsearchable. God, if there's somebody here that doesn't know of your steadfast love, may they turn from sin and self and turn to Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that those of us who have repented and trusted in Christ, that we are those who are steadfastly loved by you. We are saints. Not not because of what we've done, not because of who we are, but because you have loved us. You have called us out of darkness and into your marvelous light. May we now, as your people, go out from this place proclaiming the excellencies of Christ. We give you thanks, Lord. We praise your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for tuning in today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast if this message has been helpful to you. Again, if you have any questions, go to our website for our contact information, and we'll see you next time.